What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 84, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode Double Jeopardy. We're an independent podcast, and you can help keep the thing independent by visiting our Patreon at patreon.com. I... I, I Apparently, I kind of end up doing that, Zach. Patreon. As if I am... Well, anyway. As if there is some accent that I am trying to. Um, Yeah, friends, it's a little uh, later than we normally record. I spent the day driving all over the place, visiting family. I'm exhausted. Um, So the, the jokes are going to be stupid today. But um, anyway, you can find us on Patreon. Yeah, links are going to be in the show notes. Uh, patreon.com slash walking through the stargate uh, your support keeps the show going because it's uh, the, the goal is uh, offsetting the cost of Zach's computer that he had to uh, computing device that he had to pick up uh, his old one died or was dying um, yeah, and it, died too much. It, it, it just but hey if you uh, hook us up on the Patreons, then you'll have super secret access to the fun stuff like voting on episodes for us to rewatch. I think Zach will probably get into that a tad a little bit from in now, but uh, w- we will have some behind the Patreon stuff uh, for the supporters. Uh, but, you know, hey, if, if you can't do it or, or you just don't want to, um, then don't worry. Like, we will put it on the main feed. And it's main feed at some point. Uh, speaking of main feeds, you can find this podcast always on, well, psh, until further notice, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and your favorite podcast aggregator. And, uh, yeah, so I tend to forget to to say this but um we also have that outstanding offer for anybody who decides to leave us a review on apple podcasts that uh we take your words and we make a dramatic recreation out of it i kind of have every time i get one of those new ones it's both like exciting and dreadful at the same time because (laughs) uh on one hand it's a challenge to try and figure out how to how to uh you know make the review something vaguely interesting and on the other hand uh it's also a guarantee a lot of work <laughs> like <laughs> I'm, i look at it and i'm like well there there goes an extra hour into making this thing so um but it's still a lot of fun so if you want to do that go for it so and uh zach brent uh, just just to yeah? follow up on that uh, we actually got an email from google they're changing things up in google play and they're actually bringing like a google podcasts platform that's similar to apple podcasts i guess huh. i haven't looked at that closely brent you're in charge of that stuff so this is my way technically of saying, i brent, am yeah take a look at that uh i also I we also got an email about like amazon and audible podcasts coming up so oh. that's a place that might be worth uh looking into as right, well I'll take a look um and so in those platforms, if you can leave a review and you let us know, um, yeah. we will do a dramatic recreation of those as yeah. well. So, um, so Zach, if somebody actually knows a thing or two about what uh, Google's up to, I, I, I know that they're killing their 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 music platform, but uh, you know. Sounds like they're migrating their podcasty stuff. But anyway, if somebody wants to send us a note and be all like, "Dudes, this is what's up. You, this is you do that. You take a look at this. You click that button. If you, sign you off know your exactly how all of this works, folks, then the best way that you can help us is by emailing us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com. That is W A L K I N G T H R O U G H T H E S T A R G A T E at gmail.com. Slow and steady. 
Yeah, well, I figured that in this situation that I wanted to make sure that it was clear and easy to understand so that <laughs> those people who have the information we need don't actually make a mistake. Because if you're just like walking through Stargate, that's not going to get to that's us. You need work. that T-H-E in there yeah. as well. So uh, there you go. Definite articles are important. Indeed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is much later than normal, isn't it? Much later. <laughs> this is going to be, but it is not. Um, so, so some of our uh, at least more fun episodes to record that you and I have done are the ones where it's like getting close to midnight, and we're just like, like that's true. It's not. We're not there yet. It's, it's not there. It's not that late. Um, no. But those times are usually when when we are like in the same place at the same time, and that makes that's it just true. insane. Um, yes. So, anyway, so you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking and talk to us mm-hmm. there. Um, I am abysmal at watching and, and looking at Twitter, but Brent, I think, is better than me. I, at, at least that. I pay attention to it about once a week. So. Ah, okay. So, there you go. Uh, it's not that we don't like Twitter. It's just that we're not good at social media. <sighs> I just don't uh, uh, we also have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, Walking Through the Stargate. Uh, I am more uh, involved there, and I mm-hmm. pay attention to what's happening. Uh, uh, so earlier this week, Brent, on mm-hmm. uh, the group, uh, David posted uh, a trailer for uh, uh, Legends, I think was the name of it. Now I'm blanking on it. But it was a Western starring Richard Dean Anderson that he did between MacGyver and and oh. Stargate. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know how long it lasted uh, because I don't know anything about it. didn't look at it, uh, but it was just, you know, a fun uh, three or four minute trailer. Yeah. Uh, John Delancey, who played Q in Star yes. Trek Next Generation and such, yes. is also in that. Um, and you can see Richard Dean Anderson with an oldie timey Western mustache. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> on the Facebook group. Nice. Um, I might so, have to take a look at that. Uh, and of course, you can join us on Patreon. We have uh, several different uh, tiers that you can join us. Uh, depending on the tier, you'll get a number of votes uh, for the rewatch. I have sent those emails out to those who are on Patreon already. And so when you get that email, go ahead and re- figure out your votes and send those to us uh, post haste. Yeah. And we'll get those. Uh, put Added into in. our mm-hmm. tallies. Um, I got one email back that I can recall, and I haven't had a chance to do anything with it yet, but it's still there. Sure. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode, Double Jeopardy. Are you ready yes. for some background facts? Let's let's get into it, Zach. Let's do okay. it. Okay. So the director for this episode is someone you are familiar with, Michael mm-hmm. Shanks. Oh, that's right. This was the one. This, this is the, the episode that, that Michael direct. Shanks yeah. directed. This is his first and his only directing credit for SG-1. Really? Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he does have uh, I think three other episodes that he's directed for uh, Saving Hope from 2014 to 2017. Uh, yeah. He did direct mm-hmm. a few episodes of that show. But other mm-hmm. than that, that's his directing career. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, he's there just it is, been right an actor. There. Uh, which is really, I mean, I don't know why or whatnot, but if this episode is anything uh, to compare to, I mean, he did a really good job with this episode, I thought. Uh, mm. So, but, you know, hey, you do you. That's what I say, you Michael. Get, you you do, do you. you. Do. 
Um, Michael Shanks does have a story credit and a teleplay credit later on in the series. Hmm. Uh, and some of the other main actors also have story and teleplay credits as well. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that there is one episode later on that Amanda Tapping directs. Nice. So, okay, I'm looking forward to that one. Yep. Uh, that's quite a bit down the road, so you'll have to wait a while. But mm-hmm. there you go. Fine. Mm-hmm. The teleplay for this episode is Robert Cooper. Uh, this is his fourth of four writing credits this season. He did Small Victories, which I believe is the opener. He did Watergate and Absolute mm-hmm. Power. And then, of course, mm-hmm. this episode, Double mm-hmm. Jeopardy. Um, we have several guest actors that are worth uh, noting. We have Jay Brazou, Brazo, uh, Braziao, uh, uh, <laughs> JB. We're going to go JB. There JB. you go. JB. Uh, he plays Harlan. Um, yes. This, he is, of course, returning. Uh, he was in the first mm-hmm. season episode Tin Man playing mm-hmm. Harlan, and he created, mm-hmm. of course, these uh, Robo SG1s, and now he's back worried about them. We have Ron Halder returning as Cronus, mm-hmm. uh, the evil Gould. We have Belinda Weymouth, who plays Jaden. She is mm-hmm. the other Gould who tortures uh, and interrogates yeah. Robo, Robo Teal and Carter. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Robo um, Teal and Carter. <laughs> she has a total of 25 acting credits uh, from 1990 to 2010. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been in shows such as Murder One, Time Cop, Hercules, The, Legend Conti- the Legendary Journeys, mm. uh, CSI Miami, Nip Tuck. And, of course, she's mm-hmm. in this episode of SG-1. Mm-hmm. Uh, she began her career in 1990 when she played the small part of Laura in the movie User-Friendly. And that mm-hmm. is all I know about that. And that's Belinda for us. Yes. We have Matthew Harrison, who plays Darian. Mm-hmm. He was born in December of 1968 in Montreal. Uh, he is an actor and audition coach and a teacher. He began a career in politics before switching to the arts as a writing assistant to the American playwright Douglas Ward. Hmm. Okay. Uh, he's been in 13 Ghosts, Romeo Must Die, The House mm-hmm. Next Door, The Watchmen, mm-hmm. Downloading Nancy, and many, many other things. Mm-hmm. And his first acting credit came in 1999 in the short, ni- short film from 1999, Cage the Dog, where he played the character of Tommy. Which is a major character in that, but Cage the Dog also doesn't have a synopsis, so I have no idea what that's about. Gotcha. Okay. It's just, it's about a dog, and they cage it, I guess. Okay. And then we have uh, Bill Croft, who plays Sindar. This is the um, uh, Cronus's first prime. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, The the gold emblemy guy from Cronus. Yep. He is known for his work on The Butterfly Effect, Seventh Son, and Legends of the Fall. Mm-hmm. He's had a very, very long career, dating back from 1986 all the way to the present. In 1986, he began by playing a kidnapper in the movie uh, or TV series, I'm not certain what it is, Mania the Intruder. Hmm. Okay. Um, other show he's, shows he's been in include Airwolf, 21 Jump Street. Mm-hmm. He was in It... This is the 1990 TV miniseries. He was in MacGyver oh, yeah. and The Commish. More recently, he's been in several episodes of Arrow and DC's Legends of Tomorrow and yeah. I think Supernatural and some other things as well. Nice. So, okay. 
there you go. Uh, the original air date for Double Jeopardy is February 16, 2001. In the UK, they were still listening to Hole Again by Atomic uh-huh. Kitten, which yep. is not some electrical band. It's just nope. uh, just a girl band. Just, uh, it's, just, it's just three ladies singing songs. Hey, and you know what? <laughs> that is mm-hmm. perfectly fine. Oh, yeah. Atomic yeah, Kitten, fine. you do you. You do you. Now... In the U.S., yeah. they were listening to Miss Ms. Jackson by Outkast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And Son that's all I know about that. Ooh, I am for real. Never meant to make your daughter cry. I apologize. Th- it's a good song. Oh, okay. Great. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. You know. It's playing. It's playing right now. It's been, it's, been, it's been playing the whole time. Ah. Oh, well. <laughs> that's wonderful. Now I can finally hear it. <laughs> so as we are jamming to Ms. Jackson by Outcast, we do have some box offices for these weekends. For this weekend. Uh, number one is Hannibal. Um, and I'm not going to make the same joke I made last week, so I'm just going to say Hannibal is no. still number one. Yeah. <laughs> it is so far still number one. It is not down to earth. It's uh, way up in, and yep. down to earth is number two. Uh-huh. And when you're down to earth, you need to, you know, you get tired, you get restless, and so you need to go outside and play so you have recess because school's out. Recess, school's out is number three. And, you know, what's a great time to have recess when school's out is just sweet November. When the weather's not too cold and not too hot, it's just sweet November. Uh-huh. And Clearly in sweet November, in you don't really have... <laughs> I'm from Iowa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and number five, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Because there, that, that, there, there it is. There you go. Book it, book ended with just with just flat just statements. Number statements. one, Hannibal. Number five, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. The, Absolutely. The real meat and potatoes was in two through four. Nice. That, that's right. Excellent. There you go. So what was happening at this time? Mm-hmm. Well, on February 15, one day before this episode aired, uh, the first draft of the complete human genome is published in the journal Nature. Mm-hmm. So we are trying to figure out exactly what we are made from our DNA up. And Mm -hmm. this is their first attempt at figuring that out. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit disconcerting that they had a first draft of that, but it makes also sense. (laughs) Well, then they sent it back to the copywriters or to the, (laughs) to the copy editors. And they were just like, no, 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 no. You, you totally switched tenses here. You gotta, you gotta keep with it here. Okay. Don't use a semicolon. Just make a new sentence. (laughs) Just a colon will do. (laughs) (sighs) You got to keep everything in a singular point of view. Don't just change the point of views all over the place. Oh, gosh. Okay. So I should move on. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) On February 16th. The day this episode aired, Matthew uh, Schneider of the Los Angeles Kings becomes the first defenseman uh, in history to score a goal against all 30 NHL teams as nice. L.A. beats Minnesota 4-0. to zero. Mm-hmm. So, well done, you, Mr. Schneider. Mm-hmm. Good on you. Good on you. 
couple days after this episode aired, on February 18, the FBI agent Robert Hansen is arrested for spying for the Soviet Union. Bum, ba dum bum. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because in 2001, the Soviet Union didn't really... He was doing the spying back in the day and they finally arrested him for it. <sighs> okay. He is ultimately yeah. convicted and sentenced to life in prison. So, there you go. Yep. Naughty, bad boy, bad, bad. Bad Hanson. Bad Hanson. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> and moving on. And moving, moving right along. <laughs> uh, on February 19th, an Oklahoma City bombing museum is dedicated at the Oklahoma City National Memorial mm-hmm. um, to memorialize uh, those who were killed in yeah. that event mm-hmm. uh so this episode double jeopardy we do have some trivia for you are you ready Brent? Mm-hmm. yeah let's do okay. it so um i think if i recall correctly from the uh the promo you knew going in that that we had a double set of of sg1 episode uh, yes yes um, i will though confess now that i it, that it took me a bit to be like oh these are the, the copies okay got it there was a moment right. there where I was just like, wait, what? Huh? Why, Why are they confused? So, what? so at the beginning, when we see them coming mm-hmm. through the gate, there are some subtle hints that these are the robots and not the original. One, mm-hmm. they're, we're, they're using uh, um, MP5s instead of their P90s. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Daniel is not wearing any glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look carefully, he, is, he does have longer hair under the bandana. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, Carter has slightly longer hair, and mm-hmm. she's surprised when Darian calls her Major. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, of course, uh, when, when she was created back in Season 1, she was just captain at that point in time. So mm-hmm. um, so there are a couple of subtlety things there going on uh, to suggest early on. Uh, also, Teal does not have a staff weapon. He's just carrying a, a big shotgun or something like that. Yeah, uh, I did notice that. Yeah. So there are some subtleties that that uh, hint that these are not the originals, um, but uh, I think they did a pretty good job of kind of keeping that questionable. Uh, and then if you don't know and you listen to the conversation they have in the uh, the uh, prison cell uh, when the three of them are talking, yeah, uh, it's like, what are you guys talking about? What you know? You just kind of get this, huh? It, you know, as yep. the as you get into that situation. All right, mm-hmm. some more trivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Android O'Neill, Robo O'Neill, and Colonel O'Neill meet up, <laughs> uh, the original O'Neill says, what's that mean? In response to Robo O'Neill's claim that he does the job better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Robo O'Neill says, better, it means better, stronger, faster. This is all a reference to the $6 million man. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a television series about a former astronaut who is faster. exactly better with bionic <laughs> implants and such. I've made them better. <laughs> Come try ya! Come try um, So there is a clip of this episode in the film Fanboys. Hmm. Um, makes me want to go and watch the episode fan or the, the movie Fanboys again uh, for that because that'd be just kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, 
In the audio commentary, uh, Michael Shanks, who was part of that commentary, reveals that uh, the scene, uh, the setting, uh, the set, there you go, <laughs> uh, where, <laughs> uh, whew, all right, let, let me back <laughs> up here. a little than normal, yeah. <laughs> it is. So, when Robo Sam and Robo Teal'c are being interrogated by Jaden, yes. uh, that set piece is a redressed set from Absolute Power when uh, uh, Jackson is in his bunker uh-huh. and, and all of that stuff, and he's about ready yes. to hit the button to blow up yes. Moscow. That yes. set, it's the same setting, gotcha. uh, same set that's just been redressed. And uh, yep. frankly, if they hadn't said something, I never would have known it. Oh, no, neither would I. Well, but I mean, but both scenes were very, very dark. I mean, like... like that's true. <laughs> if you can't see the walls... <laughs> Does it count as a as a completely unique set? Like, <laughs> look, you can it was you can the put the same me into a, room. You can put you can put the actors in a black box every week, and I'd be like, oh, they're in a new place. <laughs> so, <laughs> look, you can clearly tell because you can't see the walls. <laughs> Absolutely, there you go. Yeah, the lighting is just a little different, so it's clearly different. Yep. Okay, and uh, let's see here. So this episode uh, marks the end of Cronus. Yeah. He is the sixth Guawuld that SG-1 has killed. Or These guys are, been, yeah, you know, knocking them down. They're, they're, they have a Guawuld body count there going on. <laughs> cool body count. Nice. Um, so, and... Uh, one of the uh, challenges that uh, that Jackson or that Shanks had as he was directing this is reining in uh, Richard Dean Anderson, who kind of likes to go off mm. the rails a little bit. And you know, if you give him something that he can pick up, he will, and he'll yeah. play with it. <laughs> and you notice mm-hmm. that in a couple of scenes when he picks mm-hmm. up a cup in uh, 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 Darian's house and he just start drinking and doing weird things with it. Yep. Um, originally. Uh, when Robo O'Neill and the real O'Neill meet, they were just going to do the side-by-side look at each other uh, in-profile stuff. Right. And then when they get into a fight, like, you know, one was going to hit the other with a stick or something like that. Right. And RDA is like, no, 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 no. no we're going to wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what we would do. I mean, I would yeah. do. They would, he would do. Yeah. That's what would happen. Um, <laughs> and so... Uh, there you have it. And so, so they wrestled and, and Shanks is like, oh my goodness, now what do I have to do to get this to work properly? Well, um, and they did a pretty good job with the, with the face thing when, yeah. when, you know, one O'Neill has the other in a headlock. That was pretty yep. good. Yeah. Um, and so then, uh, finally, uh, Joseph Malozzi, the writer and producer had the following thing, following to say about this episode. Uh, this is Michael Shanks' directorial debut, and it went well. Although, quite frankly, I'm sure it was somewhat of a hellish experience for him. The episode was huge, but we've watched the almost finished cut last week, and it looks terrific. Um, oh, this is a quote from back then. Nice. So this is a quote that he did from from back then at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, and I, you know, I have directed theater in the past, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I obviously have never directed anything with the, the type of budget and uh, video camera required of this type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could not imagine just trying to navigate 
uh, all of the shoots that has to happen for this episode and navigate mm-hmm. that. Uh, that would be mm-hmm. such an undertaking for a rookie uh, director. Wow. I'm My hat tri- goes off to you, Michael Shanks. You did a, an amazing job with that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so uh, as we look at this episode uh, in other languages, the French call it replicas. The Italian, oh, yeah. the Spanish call it double jeopardy. The Hungarians call it double jeopardy. The Czechs call it in double jeopardy. Mm, and the Germans mm-hmm, say mm-hmm. double effort. All right. Okay. All right. Not so bad. That, that, Not so bad. Yeah. I'm guessing that uh, double effort is, and I don't know, I don't know my German well enough, uh, but I'm guessing that that's probably uh, like how the Germans would say the meaning of our phrase double jeopardy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but I could be completely wrong. So there you have it. There you have it. Okay. All right. So those are my trivia things for this episode. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to get into the synopsis? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, here we go. Pan down to the Stargate on the alien planet of Juna. It opens and SG-1 comes through. But they don't get far when they are attacked by a group of warriors along with several Jaffa. O'Neill is hit with a Zet Blast and falls unconscious. The Jaffa ask for identification, but Darien, the leader of the Juno Warriors, speaks up. You don't need to see their identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Uh, I mean, I mean, I know who they are. They are SG-1 from the planet Earth. How dare you show yourselves here again, he says. SG-1 is confused. They have no memory of having visited this planet. Uh, but in the midst of this conversation, O'Neill disappears, escaping the problem at hand. Unfortunately, Carter, Daniel, and Teal'c are all taken prisoner and thrown into a cell, but not before being questioned by Sindar, the first prime of Cronus. In their cell, they discuss what they should do next. That evening, Darian heads home but finds O'Neill waiting for him. O'Neill needs to know what happened the last time. Darian explains that SG-1 came and helped them throw off their belief in Herawur as a god. Most of the people had never seen a Gua'uld before, and so it wasn't too hard about that. They were told to bury the gate, and they would be fine. Unfortunately, it didn't take very long before Kronos arrived in a ship and claimed the planet for himself, and subsequently enslaved the people once again. Darian, at this point in time, is understandably angry with the colonel and won't listen to any more of his words. That said, he does agree to close his eyes when the colonel asks him to. How long? Just long enough for the colonel to disappear into the night. The next day, Kronos shows up. The prisoners are brought to him. O'Neill was able to steal the uniform of one of the Juno warriors and hide amongst the people watching the interrogation. O'Neill is trying to find that moment where he can assist and, and help his, his captured comrades. Spoiler alert, he doesn't. <laughs> Cronus speaks simply to SG-1. He will not show them mercy. He calls Darien forward and has his first prime give him a staff weapon. Then Cronus orders Darien to kill Dr. Jackson. Darien hesitates. Cronus has his goons point their weapons at the warriors. Daniel sees O'Neill and shakes his head no. 
Everyone watches on in horror as Darian fires the weapon, decapitating the archaeologist. But everyone, especially Kronos, is surprised by what they see. Daniel is not human. He appears to be a robot! Kronos orders Carter and Teal'c to be sent to his ship in orbit and that they need to, and that his troops need to go out and find O'Neill. Back on Earth, the gate activates, and the SGC is contacted by Harlan, along with SG-1. Now, Harlan is a robot lifeform that SG-1 met way back in Season 1. At that time, Harlan copied the members of SG-1 to make robots to assist him in all of his work on his home planet because it was falling apart and he needed help. Makes sense. Perfect sense. Today, Harlan is in quite a state. He desperately needs the assistance of SG-1, that is, the real SG-1, because the other SG-1 is lost. In the briefing room, Harlan tells them that the robot versions of them couldn't stay put and were compelled to explore the galaxy through their Stargate. But this time, they have not come back home. Harlan needs SG-1 to save SG-1. O'Neill and Hammond are reluctant. Harlan hopes Daniel is there to help, but Daniel is off on another mission, and that mission is directing this episode, <laughs> which is plenty hard enough for him. <laughs> and getting his head shot off. <laughs> exactly. But... When they discover that the planet RoboSG-1 has disappeared on is a planet that they visited in their past, they decide maybe they should help out. They dial the gate and send a MALP through. It doesn't take long to discover Jaffa and Robo O'Neill zet-blasting one of them and uh, taking out the guards around the gate, and then having a conversation with his double back on Earth. Darian joins him, and the two fill in the real SG-1 on everything that is going on. Once on the planet, O'Neill and O'Neill get into an argument on who's better, which devolves <laughs> into a wrestling match. <laughs> Carter yells at them, and they agree to work together. On the ship, a ghoul named Jaden questions Robo Carter and Robo Teal'c, but they refuse to answer any questions. She suggests to Kronos that he might have better luck with Teal'c. Teal'c is brought to him, but Teal'c's only message for Kronos is that he's going to kill him to avenge the death of his father. He breaks free of his Jaffa guards, dispatches them, and attacks Kronos, nearly killing him by choking him to death before he is hit in the back with a Zet Blast. Jaden continues to question Robo Carter, this time about Jackson's robot body. Robo Carter tells Jaden how to tinker with Jackson's portable generator. What she doesn't say is that it was designed to self destruct if someone just started tinkering with it. Jackson's body goes. Taking Jaden with it and freeing Robo Carter in the process. Back on Juna, Darian, SG-1, and Robo O'Neill devise a plan to stop Cronus. Robo O'Neill isn't too fond of the idea because it puts his life in jeopardy. Still, he agrees. Darian takes Robo O'Neill to the pyramid and to the place where the rings to the ship are. Uh, and, but before anything else can happen, Darian shoots Sindar with his crossbow, and Robo O'Neill pulls out his handguns and starts shooting everyone up. The real SG-1 enter with their P90s. They secure the room, but not before Robo O'Neill has been badly damaged. Robo Carter is able to get to the ring room on the ship and ring up the real SG-1. Teal'c 
on the ship, then goes to help out his counterpart while the rest of the team work to capture the ship. Teal'c's efforts are too little too late. Robo-Teal'c has been shot, but Teal'c still has a chance to kill Cronus. Unfortunately, Cronus gets the upper hand and is about to kill Teal'c just as he killed Teal'c's father. Teal'c is in agony as Cronus tries to crush his symbiote, but Robo-Teal'c isn't dead yet. And with a couple of staff blasts to the back, Cronus falls over dead. The Teal'c's look at each other. Robo-Teal'c speaks the words, for our father, before he too dies. Mm-hmm. O'Neill, Carter, and Robo Carter are trying to block off the Jaffa from storming the Peltak, that is, the command level of the ship. The crystals are protected by a force field. And, by the way, these are the crystals that need to be pulled out because of, you know, plot reasons to get plot the reasons. doors to close, you know, yeah. naturally. But but they're protected by a force field. But Robo Carter, Carter is able to power through the shield and pull the needed crystals while the other two cover her with their P90 blasts. <laughs> Unfortunately, the damage done to Robo Carter is too much, and she, too, dies. But Cronus... Boo. Sorry, I was not laughing at that part, but anyway, carry on. Oh, okay. Cronus is dead. And they got a nice, shiny mothership out of it. Mm -hmm. Back on the planet, Darien attempts to help Robo-O'Neill, despite his protestations that it's not worth it. The real O'Neill beams down. He tells Darien that Cronus is dead and that he should go tell his people. And if they need proof, it can be arranged. Darien leaves, and O'Neill turns to his counterpart. The two discuss what it means to be real. Are we still so far from real for you? Robo O'Neill asks. O'Neill agrees that maybe they aren't. So far from real, that is. Maybe they are real, you know. So there you go. You know, there you go. Meaning of life stuff. Yep. His robot self dies. Mm-hmm. And then the ship lands on the pyramid and the end. The end. So Brent. Yeah. Double Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Um, I have complicated feelings about this one. Generally positive. Mostly okay. positive. A lot of fun. Lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. Um, It was fun to kind of piece together what was going on. Once I did, I kind of wanted to restart the episode so that I can watch, uh, you know, Robo, you know, Robo SG-1 kind of enter the scene again because it would make a lot more sense. But I didn't. I resisted the urge. I wanted it to be a pure, a pure uh, engagement with the with the show. Um, and, um, by the time it was all said and done, uh, I, I, I wanted, I wanted more Harlan. (laughs) I wanted, um, uh, the situation that the fight with Kronos felt a little peculiar. Didn't quite, didn't quite land the punches that I think that it was supposed to. Um, and it was kind of interesting to, to watch, it was interesting to watch all of SG-1, sorry, all of the actors who play the characters in SG-1 get to die. Like, they get to play a mm, death. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, so we had this kind of strange uh, ability to have our heroes die without actually having them die. Um, so that was, that was interesting. That was interesting to me. Um, the cavalier aspect of Robo O'Neill when he got shot up pretty badly just before, you know the second or the last third of the of the episode belayed the reality that he was actually perishing um 
And so that one scene kind of threw me for a loop because it really did look, kind of look like he was about to be all like, you know, a robot version, which is like, you know, yeah, this stinks, but you know what? Give me a minute here and I'll be able to kind of keep walking again. And mm-hmm. no, that, that turns out not to be the case. And then also it was, it was kind of pivoted into, well, the reason why he's about ready to die is because he's running out of power. But that also didn't feel that it was weird because they are machines and you you know when my phone dies <laughs> technically when my phone dies i can plug it into the wall and kind of get it back um like <laughs> uh, part of me is just like well wait a minute this the scene is the scene is uh secured maybe we can just get them back and power them up again and maybe have another adventure with them maybe maybe uh one can hope um it but it was it was very interesting to sort of watch the interplay and then and then like hindsight being twenty twenty and looking at that that quote that Malozzi was giving about how big of an episode this was now I can actually kind of see that um, it's like gosh yeah there was a lot going on and not like too much was going on it was just there was a lot going on here mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the native uh, what are the what are, who are the people that live there what are they called they uh, the called, planet is called Juna J U N A Juna. Um, Darian. Is that his name? Yeah. Darren? Darian. Darian. Darian and and presumably his his spouse. Um, there was something about their affect in their acting, which was just a little bit much. I don't know what it was. Um, a little too earnest, uh, which... I don't know who cares. They're they're from another world. Maybe maybe everybody on this world is like super earnest. Maybe they're always like walking around like looking very intently at everything, including their <laughs> morning coffee. Just looking at it. Just, just. I am wanting to en- morning coffee. I am wanting to enjoy my morning coffee, Zach. I'm not saying you don't drink morning coffee. No, no, no. You do not say don't. You say do not. Contractions oh. don't exist in this society. <laughs> <laughs> Which I might have Darian so is a robot too. Oh no! Oh no! He's a data. Um, yeah. So huh. it, it, it was um, part of you know part of me. I'm wondering if, if I'm struggling to kind of describe it because I'm you know a little low on gas mentally, and so I'm just like ah, you know, I should have should have should have uh, had a little bit more in the tank before trying to, to describe this one. But on the other hand, it's like nah, I don't know. I mean, like it was it was. Um, you know, it was like a, it was like a, it was like a good cheeseburger. It uh, wasn't a steak, but uh, it wasn't popcorn either. So you know, like uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was all right. It was, it was, it was all right. It, um, you know, did some good stuff well. Um, the spots where I'm a little like, eh, really, um, they're just little bits, little little bumps in the story of how it was told, and then you know, a couple of weird little things to the side that is just like you know, pet peeves, but. That's that's on me. And then the stuff that I actually did not like about it had lots to do with that. The episode was just too short. Like, you know, like we ran out of time. And so, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like uh, the the amount of time that we spent with Harlan was was delightful and painfully short. Um, But I get it. Like, got to keep the story moving along. Right. And uh, yeah. So generally just kind of positive. So what about you? What do you think? So I enjoy this episode. Uh, I have fun with this episode. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I love the callback to uh, the Robo SG-1. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love seeing Harlan again. Yeah, I would love to see more of Harlan. 
Um, one of the questions that we have with this is, so Harlan desperately needed these robots to help with his planet, um, and now they're all gone. Yeah. Um, but we also saw that Harlan had the capacity to... Like after Teal'c broke, they made a new Teal'c in that episode. I was so, yeah, yes. So does Harlan have the capacity to make a new SG One robots? Yeah, maybe um, or fix which, these ones. Well, uh, I'm I'm guessing that these ones probably got a nice burial, um, and you're not going to fix Daniel very well because he's in a zillion pieces. I don't know. I've seen Data's head lopped off of his body. I don't know how many times. Well, yeah, sure. But I'm not talking about his head getting lopped off. I'm talking about his body self-destructing. Oh, I forgot about the body self-destructing. Yeah. Right? That's that's, I mean, that's kind of hard to piece back together. I mean, in, You're right. In, in two pieces is one thing. In 3,200 <laughs> pieces, that's something very different. Fair. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I forgot so, about that. Uh. I think that probably the death that is most improbable for me is Teal'c's death. Uh, O'Neill gets shot up pretty hard there. Um, and so you take yeah. that coupled with the battery dying. Uh, I mean, he takes two or three staff blasts to his yeah. chest. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that he keeps firing after that is pretty impressive. But, yeah. you know, um, Carter, on the other hand... Uh, she gets to live sustained periods of time in contact with a force field that is actively trying to, you know, cut her into pieces, mm -hmm. um, which is definitely enough to uh, throw some haywire into the circuitry of a, of a robot. So yep. when she's like, okay, I'm all done, bye, clunk, that makes sense. Dilk, yeah. you know, he, he, he's been hit a couple of times, but, uh, you know, he just sort of dies because the story says to die. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and this is the part of the story where you die, Teal'c. For okay. our father. <laughs> Plunk. I mean, I mean, it was, it's well acted. Yes, uh, it was. It was well done. Yes, it um, was. You know, the... Uh, so I just finished a project at the church where um, we were doing a confirmation service uh, pre-recorded. So uh, mm -hmm. for those of you who are not faith people, confirmation is when uh, people, uh, usually uh, middle schoolers, like eighth graders, say, yes, I want to be part of the church. Uh, and they get mm -hmm. up there and they make some promises like that. Well, because of COVID-19 and everything, uh, we couldn't just have a large group of people come for the service and do this. So we had to record each of the four confirmands one at a time and then mm -hmm. edit it all together. And yeah. uh, it turned out wonderfully. It worked really well uh, overall. But the editing was just such a nightmare mm -hmm. to get everything lined up and, and set up with all the different videos and overlays and everything. Uh, and so I watch an episode like this, and I can't help but thinking about the amount of cutting and pasting and editing uh, and trying to make sure that you have the right shot for this and the right shot for that. And I'm like, sure. I'm yeah. impressed. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the fact that that's all happening and and... You know, in in my head, I want to imagine uh, Richard Dean Anderson dressed as one O'Neill, and then he immediately changes his clothes to say the mm -hmm. next line, and then he immediately <laughs> changes his clothes back. And and my brain knows that that's not how it works. But, right. <laughs> you right. know, the other part of my brain says, oh, my gosh, that would be so hard. Um, yes. But and there you go. From what you tell me, sounds like something that Richard Dean Anderson would try to do. I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to do something like that. 
Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and then people were like, so, oh, we forgot to light the candles. Don't worry, we can fix it in post. I'm like, we no, can fix no, it in post. No, we can no, put no, flames in post. We're not doing that. Nope. <laughs> um, so, you know, the editing uh, and, and the video here, the, the storytelling was done well. Um, uh, you know, I would have liked to see more Harlan, but I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I felt that, that this wasn't an episode that was designed to, um, you know, really pull at your heartstrings necessary, right. necessarily, or really even designed to to dig into the, the philosophical questions of what is real and right. what isn't. It right. wasn't designed for that, but it did a really good job of, of, of hitting that drum in a, in a subtle but, but uh, clear way that uh, I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, O'Neill is not the guy who likes to play with the subtleties of philosophy, and right. so when you have O'Neill look at his counterpart as he's dying and says, "But you know what? Maybe you are real." Mm-hmm. Uh, begging the question, "What is real and what isn't real?" Um, that that really um, makes me want to start, you know, having a conversation on uh, what makes something alive, mm-hmm. um, and and how does that operate and and such. So uh, I appreciate that question. Um, if you have more energy in the suds, we can talk about that philosophy. Um, a little bit in the suds. I can't uh, yeah. talk. <laughs> no, I, I, that was a phrase I've never heard in my life. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, that's the, that's the beauty of language is that it's all about the, uh, it's all about the context. Yeah. Um, all about the context. I, I thought that that, I, I thought that that line at the end was a little bit bonk bonk. Um, it, it might have been just because I was kind of getting swept up uh, in the story and the story was starting to wrap up kind of quickly just because I had to, you know, no, no, no fault to, you know, not, there's no real big fault to that. And it's not like it was out of place. Um, it just, I thought it was very much in place. It was very much. You would hear the, the robo O'Neill say that makes sense for that character in my head. But I haven't seen Robo O'Neill struggle with the Pinocchio problem, right? Like, I I haven't seen him really wrestle with the the question or the fallout of somebody declaring that he's not real. Well, Except you for- see that in Tin Man, um, and and at the end of Tin Man, um, O'Neill and O'Neill are having a conversation about right. Um, you know, who's going to do what? And like, no, I'm not going to go back to Earth. I can't. I have to stay here. Um, you know, don't worry. We'll, we'll bury the gate and don't bring a bomb because I know you're going to, you know. Um, I mean, so, so there is that conversation where he is hit uh, head on. That's right. With the existential reality that he is not um, real or he is not flesh and blood. Right. He is something different. Um and so you do see, uh, you see him deal with that, um, and I suspect that uh, I mean at that point in time he wasn't too thrilled with the idea that he was a robot, um, but uh, one would make the assumption uh, when you get to this episode and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, I'm I'm better than you, right? You know, better, faster, stronger, all of those things. Um, is that he has come to terms with what he is. And he is perfectly fine uh, being who he is at that point in time, I think. Asterisk, just because I happen to remember 
seeing this and wanted to ask, and this is not on topic, but it is about uh, O'Neill and Richard Dean Anderson's makeup with O'Neill. So Robo O'Neill had less gray hair than real O'Neill, if I remember, if if I was seeing that right. Correct. And this was the question. I thought O'Neill got that scar over his eyebrow after Tin Man. See, I was thinking the same thing, and mm-hmm. I can't remember for sure when it is. Um, um, you know, I remember we had that conversation about that when it happened. Uh, I want to think it was probably a second season episode. Um, but you're right. I, I, I was noticing that and thinking about that this time around, too. Like, would Robo Neal have that scar on his... I can't remember. His, uh, I can't remember when he got the scar. Eyebrow. Yeah. Um, anyway. Know, anyway. But to the but then kind of but then swinging that 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 question that off topic question right back into where we were, um, in the notion of of, of realness, uh, the, you know the better faster stronger O'Neill, uh, you know as you're as you're kind of talking this thing out, I'm wondering if um, you know if their ad- adventures through the gate have basically everything to do with the reality that they just kind of want to feel real again um you know the, the, the robo the robo sg1 has been uh, relegated to to you know maintenance duty in uh, right. harlan's little city and they agree that they need to be relegated to maintenance duty because they do not represent the actual our actual heroes um and so in an effort to feel like the humans that they feel that they are going out and trying to kick ghoul butt is like what they do. Like it is actually an artifact of them trying to recreate their humanity. But I, I think I think part of that, I think you're right that that their their decision to go out on missions and such uh, is is their attempt to be mm-hmm. real, to mm-hmm. um, be alive. Uh, right. Because that's who they are, um, but it also suggests uh, or, or brings to the, you know offers to the, the the conversation that that for them uh, what makes them real is mm-hmm. what they're doing, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. what they're made of, uh, and yeah. so what makes them real is that they're going out on these missions, and in this situation, they all four sacrificed their lives for the right. sake of somebody else and that's their way of saying i mean it's sort of like when data dies uh spoiler alert data does die in like the last star trek movie um yep but that's also 20 years old so it's not really much of a spoiler nope um if we spoiled uh, that movie for you i i I, there is a piece of me that is sorry but on the other hand like no yeah um but uh you know when when data dies there's actually an episode um when they find Data's head in the series and uh, Data's like, hey, this is cool. Yeah. And everybody's like, we found your head. How can this be cool? <laughs> and he's like, mm-hmm. well, it means at some point in time I'm going to die. I'm mortal. That makes me more human than what mm-hmm. I was before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of this is, is uh, you know, their capacity to do uh, what they do, which is to be SG-1, to, to be uh, the heroes that they are. Um, and then to, uh, in this case, sacrifice their lives for the sake of others. 
uh, is their way of, of kind of putting their foot down and saying, I am real. Uh, I'm worthwhile. So now I'm, as, as we were kind of talking this thing through, part of me is also kind of wondering if this doesn't represent kind of a big old series plot hole. Um, because if SG-1's principal mission is to acquire relationships and technology to help Earth defeat the ghoul threat, um, <laughs> having an army of clones is a pretty good idea. Like... <laughs> Like the ability to just to just send fifteen O'Neills out and about, like why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to try to make it? Now I get it because when we first saw Harlan in Tin Man, it was not it was not uh, it it was uh, subterfuge. It was, uh, um, you know, it it was a story of escape. Um, right. But here we are, you know, like there's uh, two SG one teams I, running around. I, I on would that planet. say that you part know. of what's going on there uh, to allude to yet another Star Trek episode. Uh, there's an episode in, I believe, the second season where they but read, uh, they run into a community of clones, and the clones mm-hmm. like, "Hey, we want to clone you, and so that uh, we can continue our civilization with clones of you." And mm-hmm. everyone on the crew is like, "Yeah, nope, not me. Don't do that." And uh, it's voiced most clearly in uh, Riker's voice, which I could definitely hear O'Neill saying something very similar. You know, one Riker is special, you know, even unique. Yeah. Uh, but a dozen, a hundred Rikers somehow in his mind diminishes who he is. Um, and certainly you felt that from uh, real O'Neill in this episode and in Tin Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he runs into Robo O'Neill, he's like, somehow there's something in this other that uh, diminishes who he is. You know, you're the other pal. Um, and, you know, there's some of that in, in Robo O'Neill as well, especially in Tin Man, less so in this mm-hmm. episode, mm-hmm. Uh, of that somehow am I less because I'm not you, but I am you, but I'm not. Right, you know? right. Uh, right. So I think that in the realm of your potential plot hole, um, uh, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that... Uh, uh, it would be distasteful for uh, SG-1 and the SGC personnel in general to make a whole bunch of robot clones. And also there's the ethics of making a whole bunch of robot clones to be an army of, I mean, you know, now are are they slaves? Are you a slave master to yeah, the robots? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, right. so there you go. No clones. There's entire there's 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 an entire movie about it. It's it's just a poor choice. Indeed. So. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. yeah, that's um, you know, again, I confess that you know, mentally I'm just kind of running a little bit out of gas, but on the other hand, like, you know, this one I mean, this one did what it said on the tin, man. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh man. <laughs> But it was. I mean, it was. It was. It was pretty straightforward. Um, you know, we got to watch SG One die, but not really. And um, you know, they got to defeat a system lord. They got to kill a system lord, which is cool. Yeah. Um, uh, you yep. made mention that they got a they got a fancy new mothership, and then it didn't quite dawn on me that actually, I, I just didn't say to myself, "Oh, they have a mothership now." 
but they do have a mothership now. I wonder if that's going to play into effect. Yep. Or, uh, you know, play, um, into, play into things. I mean, you also get that line from uh, Teal'c when they say, well, what do we do with all the Jaffa that we've blocked off from the Peltac and such? And he's like, right. set them free. Uh, give them the opportunity to to be free. And, that's right. He did and say that. Yeah. No longer under the thumb of a system lord. Uh, yeah. Which, of course, is one of his primary goals, is to free yeah. the Jaffa. Uh, and so you just get a little tidbit there um, of of uh, what he's thinking as this moves forward. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so shall we uh, move on? Yeah. I think it's so, what I like okay. to say. Uh, then I ask you, Brent, mm-hmm. how many chevrons does Double Jeopardy get? So like I said, this is, a, this is a nice cheeseburger. It's not a steak. So um, the good stuff was good, but I didn't really feel like it was like great episode. Uh, and the bad stuff was not bad. It was just like, you know, there was a little bit of a little bit of disappointment that I didn't get a little more fun with the character that was really great. There was a couple of moments of slight confusion or pacing strangeness or just kind of glossing over or teal dying because the script says so. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, I mean, that's not anything to really kind of like look at this one and go, man, this thing was no good. Um, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it five out of seven. Um, I had, I had fun with it. Um, it didn't like really propel me into the, into the awesome levels of interesting things to think about. It was pretty straightforward. It was fun. There was good stuff about it. No question. Five out of seven. Cool. Um, yeah, I enjoyed this episode as well. Uh, I think I like it just a little bit more than you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, when when I think about this episode as being Michael Shanks's first director director mm. uh, directing job, mm-hmm. um, I, and and the the challenges, the technical challenges that he had to deal with um, with that, mm-hmm. um, even to the point of having to direct himself for for a while. Um, you know, yeah. and it makes sense mm-hmm. that he killed himself off and then he was conveniently off on a, another mission <laughs> he, somewhere he, else. Yeah, he gave himself yeah two lines, two lines, a moment, uh, uh, you know, a, a knowing look and then blammo, he's yeah, done. <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, so all of that, uh, you know, that just adds to, to my wow of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when it's all said and done, I'm going to give this episode just a smidge more than you and go a five and a half. Five and a half. Five and a half. Still pretty pretty much right on right there. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So as we do, Brent, this is the point in the episode where we dig into the uh, uh, predictions of our listeners. Yes. Uh, And if you want to participate, uh, uh, all you have to do is uh, send us an email at Uh walkingthroughthestargate.gmail.com and let us know what your predictions are. Are for this episode in that, or you can uh, comment on our Facebook page, uh, Facebook group uh, post that I put in. Uh, I usually get that up every morning on Saturday. We usually record in the Saturday morning. Yeah. Uh, later on, the a today we're recording later than that on a Saturday. Uh, Julie keeps telling me that I need to post that on Friday, and and she's probably right. And, <laughs> yeah, I think she is too. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so hey, one thing at a time, man. Uh, so, Julie, starting with Julie, Julie, she says, I'll guess a middling four from both of you. 
Pretty close. And I say, that's not high enough. That's not high enough. David responds to Julie by saying, a good comtria should bump this from a four. One good comtria should make this more than a four. He's basically what he's saying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, We'll get to David's actual prediction uh, later on. Justin says. Hi, Justin. What is the third principle of sentient life? The capacity for self-sacrifice, which is defined as the conscious ability to override evolution and self-preservation for a cause, a friend, or a loved one. Drawl, Babylon 5, a voice in the wilderness. <laughs> I went back to watch Tin Man and saw the beginning of the debate that Double Jeopardy answered. It was answered well, uh, most likely because of the you, you're not me, I'm me dialogue, also mm-hmm. because of... Teal'c's accepting his doppelgangers fulfilling their oath to avenge our father. Mm-hmm. The reappearance of Harlan was a fun callback, and the legendary Big Bad Cronus fell too easily. But no one expects the Stargate doppelgangers. Uh, so whose chief <laughs> weapon is surprise? Uh, wait. No I have one no expects idea what he's trying the to say Stargate there. doppelgangers? Whose chief weapon is surprise. That's their... Okay. Fear, surprise, surprise. and a radical devotion to the trope are their three (laughs) weapons. Uh, Keep Harlan and the machine around, and you could have an overpowered SG-1, especially with Sam's upgrades, and we could have RDA doing snarky death scenes every other week. That's what I said. Yeah, well, we've had that conversation, Justin. You're wrong. All right, here's his prediction. Okay. He predicts that Zach will give this five and a half chevrons. Oh, boy. Right on the and money. And he predicts that Brent is going to give yeah. it six chevrons. Oh, so close. So close. Well done, Justin. Um, try try Nice. All right. Let's see here. JD says. Radical devotion to the trope. Anyway, so, hi, JD. <laughs> this episode is fun. <laughs> And mm-hmm. plant seeds early for a payoff that is really fun the first time you see it. The acting of playing themselves mm-hmm. versus themselves was fun as well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go for a five from Brent. Yes. Uh, fun for, because of the fun of it. And a four from Zach uh, for the one shotness of it. So close. So close, JD. You're, you're, so you're close. starting to, to, to figure it out, JD. I, yeah, I'm yeah, impressed. You're, you're getting this yeah. closer. Um, yay. Good job. <laughs> Unlocking the mysteries. <laughs> Which I'm not sure anybody really wants it. You shouldn't you shouldn't delve too deeply. The dwarves delve too deep sometimes. You know? Alright. And we have Ball. Kimberly, who says Hi Kimberly. I have no idea how Brent rates things. I'm calling in the Bane <laughs> factor for this episode rating Ooh. for him. It's fun, but also has real emotional depth when you take a deep dive into the copy's point of view, and we know Brent has a soft spot for robots. He imagined... Uh, Kimberly says, I will give it a five, uh-huh. and you will give it a six. Uh-huh. Very, very close. Very close. Kimberly. Yes. Okay. So our emails begin with David. Hi, David. David says, come try a bias buffer. <laughs> now that's more like it. 
This is what I'm expecting from an end-of-season ramp-up to the last episode. It has high stakes. It furthers the overall story arc. It has twists and turns, humor, drama, another dead system lord, and a big win ending that could change everything. True. And for our father, as Android Teal'c dies, Mm -hmm. Brent... If you don't give this at least a six, I will find you and replace you with your Android double. I can do that. I know about computers and stuff. (laughs) Hey, dude, if you know of an Android version of myself out there, let me know because that would be great fun. And he says, two two of us, two of us running around. Y'all be in trouble. I I don't know if I could handle two of you. And for me, he says, seven chevrons because it's awesome and come try And because I know where this is leading and would be nudging whoever he is next. Wait, wait, wait. Would be nudging whoever. Yeah, you read ahead because there might be a thing. While watching and saying, this is important. Okay. Uh, Okay. So, uh, because of reasons. Because of reasons. So, you know, you're absolutely right, David. There's a lot in this episode that is wonderful. And I can't talk about more about why it's wonderful. Um, um, so I will leave it at that and so stand by my five and a half. Ah, uh, yes. There's a lot of fun. You know, I was really tempted. I will admit to you all that I was really tempted to go all the way up to a six. Um, I don't think I would have gone seven with this episode, um, mm-hmm. even though it is fun. Um, so I was tempted, but I didn't do it. Alas. And finally, we have Caleb. Hey, Caleb. Uh, here it is. Double Jeopardy was a great episode. It was mm-hmm. nice to wrap up the Tin Man storyline along with gaining mm-hmm. a Hatak vessel. My predictions are mm-hmm. Zach 6 and Brent 6. All right. So there you go. Very, very, very close. There you go. Those are our predictions this week. And if you want to, I mentioned this already, so I'm not going to keep going. But you know how to do it. So please join us with your predictions uh, for the next episode. Yes. Brent. Yes. The next episode Mm -hmm. is entitled Exodus. Ah. I will also let you know that it is, in fact, the season finale Mm -hmm. of season four Mm -hmm. of Stargate Mm -hmm. SG-1. Mm -hmm. And so I ask you, what is Exodus? about hmm okay exodus right next time on stargate sg1 the sg1 travel to the gate to find themselves on a strange world indeed oh actually this might actually be kind of close to what they're doing okay indeed they find themselves in a, a, a clearly another ghouled held stronghold as they seem to be in the equivalent of ancient Egypt. Ooh. Having, actually, this might be exactly where they go. Having found this culture, they decide that it is time to liberate the slave labor that is currently building monuments to their greatness. And indeed, there is a figure named Charlton Heston. <laughs> And he comes forward and he says, let my people go. Because that's what Moses sounded like. Um, SG-1 team, they 
help out with the Exodus and they go across the Red Sea and they it's miracles and it's Passover and it's plagues. And join us next time on Stargate SG One <laughs> Exodus. Well, so yeah, I was gonna I was gonna be Mr. Funny Guy and be all like, uh, yeah, I'm just gonna like mimic the Ten Commandments and see where this goes. And then I was sitting there like, wait a minute, like that takes place in Egypt, <laughs> and that's kind of a major thing of SG of the Stargate. And ah, yes, uh, yes. Well, no, it, it's okay. Um, it's okay. Uh, you you kind of uh, minus the Charlton Heston, you kind of get the general idea of like the movie Stargate there, um, but. So I should say, no, let's I watch completely the- forgot about that. I mean, like, it's an obvious, duh, but, you know, yeah. All right. Well, How about we actually shall watch, the, real we watch the promo that David so kindly, kindly uh, produces for us each and every week. Each week. Yes. All right. Let's do it. I am hitting go now. Next time on the season finale of Stargate SG-1. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tokra plan for an evacuation after the traitor has been revealed. It seems Tanith's been busy. We've received word from one of our operatives that Apophis has been given our location. The attack fleet is being summoned. Sam and I have come up with a new plan. We may be able to wipe out a significant part of Apophis's fleet in one shot. Really? This is a sun that Morash is orbiting. Is it the Death Star? Wow. Is there a, a daring plan that may require the ultimate sacrifice? What do you want us to do, Jack? We have no weapons or shields. What? It's all next time on Stargate SG-1. What? Where's my, where's, where's my let my people go? Where's well, where's holding a staff and like parting water? Well, well, you did notice that they were on a desert planet of some sort. So um, you have your desert. Where's my Yule uh, Brenner? There, you have Tanith, but not Yule Brenner. Although you do have Teal, who is bald. It's true. So you've got that. Um, you, I think you were talking and missed a significant <laughs> plot point there. Uh-oh. Um, and so I'm not going to say anything and just let that sit there with you. Um, should I rewatch? I mean, not the second, but you know, I should. You know, being, well, if you can Mr. find that, that specific sent second there, you should watch that just that single second. Although I, you know, when I mix when I mix this thing, you know, I do bring in the audio for the you know for the promo that David makes, so you know, I'll be able that's, to that's go back over it again. Yep, yep. So, um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, this is the season finale, and I can't say anything more Yes, than yes! Uh, it is season four. Exodus. Season four in the... Oh, Exodus. Can you oh, believe, Brent, that, that we are coming up to the end of season four already? Not really, no. It's, I mean... We've been doing this for the, a couple of years, and that's yeah, kind of it's amazing. Yeah, just... just um, it is worth noting, folks out there, that uh, next week we are planning to do uh, Exodus, um, mm-hmm. the, the season finale, uh, but then we'll probably take uh, at least a week, maybe a couple of weeks off, 
Um, yep. As we have done in the past between seasons, uh, just to give uh, our brains a chance to just kind of reset a little bit um, and get ready as we ramp up for season five. Uh, we do yes. plan to have a recap, season four recap episode somewhere in there, so pay attention to that as well. Um, yeah. Tell us what you think uh, should be part of that recap episode. Um, and I have no idea what that would look like, but if you've got something, uh, let us know. Uh, email yeah. us or toss it onto the Facebooks or the yeah. the the, uh, uh, the Twitters um, yep. and all that stuff. Uh, and if it's a if it's a, an idea that is workable that we can use, uh, we will definitely we'll use it. Fit it in there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> You can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Uh, go to the Facebooks, Walking Through the Stargate, the Facebook page, and the Facebook group. I don't remember if I said it, but thank you, mm-hmm. David, again, for the promos. Yes, thank uh, you. They are awesome, awesome. Love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Continue do post them up on YouTube every week. Um, and so you can go back and look at all of them that David has done so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. It's good stuff. Uh, and with that, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. <laughs> <laughs>